Hey, good morning. How are you, church? This morning, I, I want to have you join me in welcoming people who are watching in El Salvador and Monterey, Mexico, and Egypt, and uh, uh, Rachel from Michigan, some friends in Florida, Georgia, Idaho, Honduras, just to name a few. Uh, welcome, Battle Creek Online family. In fact, let me just say to if those of you who are watching online, uh, just three things. First of all, let us know where you're watching from, just in the comment section. Uh, tell us where you're from. We would love to know that. Number two, share this experience on Facebook a, a, or the link on YouTube. And if you're watching for the first time or you haven't yet, text the word Battle Creek Church to 94090. We would love to connect uh, with you. And, and today, as was mentioned earlier, uh, church, I got good news and I, and I got bad news uh, today uh, for you. In fact, how many of you would say, give me the good news first? Raise your hand. Uh, give me the good news first. Uh, I want to hear the good news first, okay? How many of you would say, give me the bad news first and tie a bow on it with the end and make me feel good uh, with, with the good news? Turns out four out of five people in, in our country would say, hey, give me the bad news and then end uh, with, with the good news. In fact, actually, a lot of people in our country would say, I don't even want to hear the bad news. And, and you are evil if you share it with uh, me. Just, just give me the good news only. But, but the good news without the bad news is not the news. It's not the news. And, and, and by the way, while I was worshiping this morning, I just sensed a heavy battle in, in, in our church in, in the heavenlies. I don't know if you sensed it or not, but if you're sensitive to the Lord, you did sense it. And, and, and there is a battle happening in our church. There's a battle happening in our land. And, and I just felt like the Holy Spirit was confirming it to me. Then one of my brothers stepped up and just said, there's a battle happening in here in my ear. I said, I feel it and I sense it with all of my heart. And, and there is a battle in our culture. And, and while I was praying about it, I just felt the Holy Spirit. I, this is not in the Scripture. I'm not looking at it on anything, or I'm just telling you what the Lord just told me. No more news in December. That, that the fast for me personally, I'm not telling you what to do, but I think if it's good for me, it's good for you. No, no, no more news at all through the month of December. And, and by the way, if you think CNN or Fox News is giving you the news, you're full of crap. And if you think that CBS or ABC or NBC is telling you the truth, you're wrong. What I need you to know is that there is one who has all the news. He knows all of the news from the beginning to the end. He knows all of it. And he, he, the good and the bad. And what we need as the children of God is to quit being manipulated by, by one angle or another. We need to be manipulated by the Holy Spirit. And he needs to tell us what the bad news is. He needs to tell us what the good news is. And just as a child of God, just the Advent season, I, I, I'm done. And my wife is going to say, praise the Lord. <laughs> and, and so let's, let's just, let's just, listen to the Lord. So, so what I want to do in this series is start with the bad news first. Aren't you glad you came today? <laughs> See, actually, there's a very historic connection between uh, the coming of Christmas and, and the announcement of good news, right? In fact, in the written account of the very first Christmas, as the angels are speaking to the shepherds, they declared, I bring you good news that will cause great joy uh, for all people. And, and as a church, as the people of God, like we know the good news, but, but what we're going to do today is talk about why that good news is even good news to begin with, or why we actually even need uh, that good news. And in order to understand why we we need the good news of Christmas, we, we got to see where it all went wrong. 
and, and went bad wrong. And in fact, we got to understand and know the bad news. And to do that, I want to go all the way back to the beginning. So if you got a Bible, turn to page one. Page one, and whatever translation you have, it doesn't matter, but page one of the Bible. And what I want to do today is set the stage for all that we're going to do in this series. And to do that, I'm going to take us through four trees, four Christmas trees, if you will. We're going to begin today in Genesis with the garden tree, and actually a couple of them there, but we're going to focus in on one of them. And then we're going to move next week into the family tree, maybe my favorite message of 2020. And we had some good ones. So you, you want to be here next week. Then the curse tree, which we know is the tree which Jesus died on, uh, the cross, and the Bible is very clear about why that is a cursed thing to hang on, on a tree. And then on Christmas Eve, we're going to wrap this whole thing up with, with the healing tree, the, uh, the tree of life that we see in the book uh, of the Revelation. So today I want to begin with what I'm calling the garden uh, tree, where things went bad, bad, wrong. Genesis chapter 1, jump if you will to verse 31. In fact, have you ever heard a Christmas series start in Genesis? I don't think I have ever. In fact, while I was getting ready for this, I think I shared this with you a few weeks ago, God gave me next Christmas, the whole series is going to be in Genesis. Christmas in Genesis, because it is so prevalent everywhere. When you know the end of the story, you can see it actually in the beginning of the story, as the author of life was setting us up in the very beginning for the greatest news of all time, found in Christmas. Uh, but, but look at what it says in verse 31. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. Let's say this together. Very good. One more time. Very good. Now, God created the earth and the moon and the stars and everything, and it was good. And that word good and very good doesn't mean good like, how are you doing? Good. How about you? No, it's not like that, right? It's an indifferent word altogether. In fact, that word in the Hebrew is full of power and full of potential, and it's almost a holy word or a sacred word, the word good, out of the mouth of God. Now, don't miss that and think that this is something common. This is not something common. Now, jump one chapter to chapter 2 and verse 8. Now, the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden. And there he put the man that he had formed. Now, that word Eden, uh, it, it can be translated as uh, delight or, or pleasure. And, and today we use the word to describe something that is perfect, right? Something that is awesome. And, and even people who don't believe in God know that word that came out of this story. And they use that word Eden to describe things that are perfect. Now, there in that garden, look what happens. Uh, <clears throat> the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground trees, say trees, that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden, go there in your mind's eye if you would, in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Do you see it in your mind? There are two trees in the middle of the garden. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to care for it. Now think about this for a minute. Adam and Eve, our ancestors, are in the garden of God's uninhabited and constant delight. It is perfection. Now think about that for a second. Adam has the perfect job or, or, or the perfect vocation. Do you think you could handle that job? I think I could handle that job. I, I don't know if you could or not. A few months ago, Meredith and I went to visit the older two at college, and we left the younger two, who are 17 and, and 14, at the house by themselves for a few, few days, and, and uh, 
Ben, my 17-year-old small group leader, uh, called me laughing and, and, and said we had Ben and Lemley over for dinner this week knowing that you were out of town, and Ben shared with us that this parenting thing is a piece of cake. And, and that it's really, really, really easy for him. He doesn't know what it is that I gripe about from time to time. <laughs> and I just, you know, texted back and said, hey, Cade, let me, let me just say something. As long as he's got daddy's house, daddy's car, and daddy's credit card, this parenting thing is a piece of cake. <laughs> right? Man, this job right here for Adam, when you think through it, it's a piece of cake, right? Hey, Adam, can you take care of the garden, the one where I am making trees come out of the ground for you? right? That's what the text said, that God was making the trees come out of the ground. Instead of planting an acorn and waiting a hundred years for it to come out, speaking of this, I found this yesterday on the golf course and, and have been collecting them actually. Look at this acorn. This like Garden of Eden acorn. You can have that, okay? I have some more. I actually have some in a Ziploc bag with moisture in the refrigerator. I'm symbolizing winter and the soil, and I'm going to plant these things. And, and 100 years from now, we're going to have a bur oak tree that, that, that has a, a, a trunk like the size of a car. I'm excited about it. I've been asking Meredith for a long time to put this in soil and plant it for me, and she hasn't. Fall, the fall. All these women have been acting that way since the fall, right? <laughs> But, 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 but listen, for decades, li li listen, you don't have to wait anymore, right? Out of the ground. God says, I'm going to make these things come out of the ground. Do you think you could handle that job, Adam? He's got the perfect job. And Adam and Eve also are in the perfect relationship, right, with, with, with one another. They are experiencing this oneness in marriage that we can't even fathom. Though Meredith gets a glimpse of it sometimes, right? But, but, but we can't even fathom. Listen, they didn't drag anything into this union. There is no history for them. They didn't bring baggage in having dated the wrong person, right? They, they walked into this thing pure. And on top of that, neither of them had a mother-in-law. I'm not talking about my mother-in-law or her mother-in-law. I'm talking about yours. But, 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 but here's the thing. Bigger than that, right? Bigger than their relationship with one another, there was nothing in the way of their relationship with God. He is there in the garden with them. They had a perfect relationship with God, the God of the universe. Can you imagine that? That they're in the middle of all of this perfection. And in spite of the fact that they had the perfect environment and the perfect job and the perfect relationship, that Adam and Eve are faced with a decision to obey God and enjoy the world that he made or to choose a different path. Now, here's the bad news. That different path means the introduction of the wrath of God. And he promised that. He promised it. He said, you can eat from any tree but that one. But if you eat from that tree, you will die. Bottom line. That's the wrath of God. Romans 1 defines it as God's power revealed against sin. Now, we don't hear a lot about the wrath of God anymore. Uh, pastors don't want to preach it. I don't want to preach, right? But, but, but the truth is, if you go to the Word and don't just listen to sermons, you're going to read a lot about the wrath of God. And just because you don't hear sermons on it anymore doesn't mean it's untrue right? So, so turn over to chapter 3, uh, just a, a page to chapter 3, and look at what it says. Verse 1. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said, underline that twice, verb, right? He said to the woman, that is the serpent, said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from 
any tree in the garden. We talked about this back and flipped the script. Did God really say? Now you're reading this and you think the most shocking part is this line right here, that the serpent, the snake said to the woman, right? That he's talking to her. But that did not seem to really catch Eve off guard at all. In fact, the most shocking part of the story is what happens after. And by the way, who is this serpent? The author of Genesis doesn't take any time at all to identify the serpent. But, but you know the Bible is a two-act play. And, and you can't uh, watch the first act and leave it intermission and it make any sense, like our Jewish brothers and sisters do, right? But, but you can't come at halftime and just watch the second half and it make any sense to you at all. And, and later in this two-act play, we're just getting this thing started in Genesis, but later uh, we find out a lot about this serpent, right, that's introduced in the opening act, a lot. In fact, in the last book of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, uh, uh, in chapter 12, verse 9, it says, that great dragon was hurled down. This ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, which means accuser, who leads the whole world astray. The ESV says he is the deceiver of the whole world. By the way, Jesus jumps on this bandwagon when he says in John chapter 8 and verse 44, you belong to your father, the devil, who speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of all lies. So this serpent, this ancient serpent, the devil, and this accuser is identified by Jesus Christ as the father of all lies. So what we see here in Genesis introduced is confirmed throughout the progressive revelation of the Scripture, all of the Bible. That Satan is a deceiver, and he wants to deceive the whole world, including you and me. He, he wants to twist and to turn and deceive. He, he, he wants to coerce and manipulate and lie, and that's exactly what he does today, and it's exactly what he did in the very beginning in this story. And the big lie that, that he is telling is that you can ignore the bad news altogether. How many of you know people like that? Just want to ignore all the bad news altogether, right? And consequently, they think that hearing, not hearing the bad news means the bad news doesn't exist. They don't want to hear that they have cancer. They don't want to hear that their business is failing. They don't want to hear that their spouse is leaving. But listen, avoiding that and pretending like you never heard it does not make it go away. Now, what I'm talking about today, listen, I'm fully aware is these are not the felt needs of Christmas that I'm going to deal with today. You're not thrilled uh, about where I'm going with this message today. They're not the felt needs of Christmas, but you got to hear me. My job, if my job is to meet your felt needs, I don't need the Holy Spirit. I can do that, right? I, I, I could tell you you're good and tell you you're great and tell you you're doing an amazing job. I, I, I could tickle, you know, and, and, and blow air up your skirt and all of that. I don't need the Holy Spirit at all to do that. But what we are doing here in this place, make no mistake about it, we're waking the dead. We're, we're giving eyes to the blind. And I can't do that. If that's what we're doing, we need God to help us. We need the Holy Spirit present. And so let me just break this main lie down into, into three confessions that this serpent hooked Eve with to get her to believe this one big lie. And, and in these three statements, I want to show them to you because not only will it uncover what's happening in this story in Genesis with Adam and Eve, but, but it's also going to help us because his playbook hadn't changed all that much. And here's the first thing the deceiver holds out in front of Adam and Eve. The serpent tried to get Eve to say, I can't imagine that. Write that down. I can't imagine that. 
I can't imagine God meant it, what he said. I can't imagine that, that he would be so cruel. I can't imagine that he would actually do that if I mess up. I can't even imagine the wrath of God. Look back at verse 1 again, chapter 3. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? He twists God's own word. God said they could eat. Just not that one tree. God said, we, we read it a minute ago in Genesis 2, you are free to eat from any tree but this one. And the devil is saying, well, wait a minute. If he's truly a loving God, then maybe he didn't mean that. Maybe he didn't mean it. Eve must have thought, you're right, he didn't mean it. I just can't even imagine that. He, he asked, didn't God say you're not allowed to eat anything that's literally the opposite of what God said. God said, you are free to eat from any of the trees in the garden except this one. And what the devil is trying to do is to reprogram the way that Adam and Eve and you and I hear the, the Father's voice. We did a whole series on this, right? Of, of him wanting to reprogram the way we hear his voice so that we won't see or hear God's love in God's law. And, and the enemy get, gets us to say, I can't imagine that. And the way he does that, by the way, don't miss the sneakiness, is he gets us to believe that our thoughts are equal to God's thoughts. When God has declared clearly in, in his scripture, my thoughts, my ways are not your thoughts or your ways. In fact, what he says is they're higher than yours. And as far as the sun is, 93 million light years away from the earth, God's ways are much higher than that, away from our ways. And, and when we think our ways are on par with God's ways, listen, what's the evidence of that? That's why social media has done what it's done in our culture. That's why everyone has a Facebook, everyone has a Twitter, everyone has an Instagram, because we live with this idea and this mentality of, hey, you want to know what I think? No, you've been here 20 minutes. Right? You want to know what I think? No, you're 20 years old. Why would I want to know what you think? No, you're 50 years old. Why would I want to know what you think? No, you've only been here 75 years. Why would I want to know what you think? I want to know what God says, right? And, and when we take our ideas and our ways and our thoughts and put them up here with God's, we, we, we think that we're on par with him. So consequently, we think I wouldn't do that. So God wouldn't do that either. God wouldn't have a wrath uh, because I wouldn't have a wrath. And we project onto God what is ours and our thoughts when we need to go the other way around, right? And, and so you see how easy this is to twist and to turn this thing. And our enemy does that. And once he does that, gets us to confess that I can't imagine that, he has us. And he's moving us now through this progression, right? And he wants to reprogram. Remember, he, wa he wants to put a, a flip the script filter over our hearts and over our ears so that we can't hear God's voice clearly, so that we will begin to doubt and be suspicious of whether we can actually believe God or, or not, which leads us to the second confession that the devil wants us to make, which goes this way, I don't believe it. We move from I can't imagine that to I don't believe that, right? And, and so let's continue in, in this chapter in verse 2, uh, chapter 3. The woman said to the serpent, you may eat from the we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, 
or touch it. She's adding. Or you will die. You will not certainly die. Or you will certainly not die. Right? You will certainly not die. When Satan is baiting us over here with step number one to believe this big lie, right? It begins with him just twisting the truth. That's what he did in step one, right? Was to, was to say, did God really say you can't eat from any tree? But once we take the bait and confess, I can't imagine that, now he begins to flat deny the truth. You won't die. His goal is for us to confess, I don't believe it, or I don't believe God. But God was pretty clear, right? He was very clear. Go back to chapter 2. For the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. Say any. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly, everybody say it together, die. God was pretty clear. And when we say, I don't believe it, we're believing that God's overblown the whole thing. You're not going to die. When Adam and Eve took a bite of that fruit, spoiler alert, if you haven't been paying attention for the last several thousand years, they did not drop dead immediately. But their relationship with God was severed. And they died spiritually. And death was introduced into humanity. I personally believe death wasn't even a part of the plan. But now it was introduced into humanity. And even though at first glance, maybe nothing outwardly changed, inwardly there had been a fracture. And things had been broken off. Human beings' contact with God had been broken. And that carried from one generation to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. It's like cutting a branch off of a tree. For a minute, the leaves look fine. But eventually they will fade. Eventually they will start to fall. Eventually they will start to die. Adam and Eve, they kept on breathing, but their souls began to wither and to die. But there's a third confession, and I want you to write this down if you're taking notes today. I got to have it. In fact, if, if you could write it down this way, I got to have it now. I got to have it now. When you can't imagine God's wrath or you refuse to believe it, you end up in a place where you say, I got to have it, and I got to have it now. And, and along with that comes all the consequences of your sin. And the justification that we give ourselves is that God is holding out on us. He's holding out on us. He's holding back from us. He's keeping it for himself. He's, he's hoarding all of the goodness. Look, look, look at this. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be, say it, like God, knowing good and evil. You will be like God if you eat from this tree. Now, what's so ironic about that statement is that how God made Adam and Eve in the first place. We don't have to go very far. Actually, just flip back one page, right? Chapter one, and it says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image. In our likeness so that they may rule. That's what God does. So God created us, mankind, in his image. We're already like him. We were made in his likeness to rule over everything that God had made, including the serpent that crawls along the ground, right? But, but that wasn't enough. Isn't it just like the deceiver? To say that God's holding out on you. And here it is, what, what, what you really are after in reality 
is actually something that God has either already given or already promised in the first place. In fact, one of the ploys, as we'll see it here in this text, is to get you to pursue something that God actually does want you to have. But at a time or through a means that's outside of the plan and the wisdom of God. And that usually is right now. I want this God, and you're not giving it to me, so I will just take it. And the enemy will dangle something out in front of you, just as he did Adam and Eve, to make you think God is preventing you from being happy. But God is not preventing your happiness. He's actually protecting your happiness. You, you will be like God. That's already yours. It's already yours, but, but Satan wants them to pursue something that God ultimately wanted for them, but through a means or at a time that's in a hurry. Let, let me just say, I love that our church is, is young. Let me just say to those of you who are 18, 19, 20, 25 years old, listen, the fast track is not that fast. It's just not. And if you go that fast and you try to take it early, listen, your character won't hold the promotion that you chase after. God wants to protect you and put you on that platform for a long, 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 long time. But he knows he's got to do the work in your heart and in your character so that that platform won't sabotage you. So the fast track's not really all that fast. When you go that way, it's going to crash and it's not all that good. God's protecting you. He's not holding out on you. The, the cumulative effect of all these lies becomes too much for them. It becomes too much for them to withstand. And, and you know the story. Look, jump, jump to uh, verse 6, I believe. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye. Well, that's just like every other fruit on every other tree. In the garden, right? Let's keep reading. And, and so desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, or naked, if you're from Broken Arrow. <laughs> so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So they took the very thing, the tree, that brought their downfall, and they used it to cover themselves up. But, but what happens as a result of their rebellion, the, the, the story continues, verse 8, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he's walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord among the, say it, trees. But the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? You know that's not because he didn't know. He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you're naked? Adam, have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Sometimes we're tempted because of our culture to read that harshly. I don't think it was all that harsh, actually. Look what he said, the woman you put here with me. <laughs> right in your Bible, stupid. <laughs> Spoken like a man who hadn't been married all that long, right? <laughs> That's a long, stinking car ride home. <laughs> so God looks to the woman and says, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the devil made me do it. <laughs> and this cycle 
of rebellion and guilt and cover-up and fear and blame-shifting, you see it play out over and over and over again in Scripture. And, And today, could you just come to the place where you admit, it's not my spouse, not my parents, not my enemy, and it's not my circumstances. It's me. And the impact of their rebellion and sin is that it severed Adam and Eve's relationship with God, and not just for them, but for all of their descendants, including us. In fact, the Apostle Paul says it this way, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so sin spread to, or death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. In other, words, in other words, we repeated the pattern of our ancestors, and it became a family tradition in the worst sense of the word, right? But, but those same lies that the serpent dangled out in front of Adam and Eve are the same lies that he attempts to use on us, the exact same ones. And every time that, that we believe uh, Satan's lies and the big lie, it's as if we... Take another bite from the fruit. And we're saying, God, I don't, I don't want what you have. I, I want to do this my way. Do, do, do you know that sin is not just what we do? It, it's the condition that we are in. Do, do you know that? Sin is a description for the condition that you and I are in. Sin is not just circumstantial. It's a condition. That's what the theologians are talking about when when they talk about total depravity. Have you heard that phrase before in theology? Total depravity. Total depravity does not mean that every person is as bad as they possibly can be. What it means is that sin has not left any part of you or me unaffected. What, what, what if we had defined sin this way? Sin is being or doing anything that shows I am not satisfied in God. That's what sin is. Anything that shows I am not satisfied in God. Look, look at this verse, verse 9. Eve saw the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. It's not any different than any of the other fruit on any of the other trees. She saw the fruit and she thought, that's what I am missing. And she thought that God was not willing to actually satisfy all of her real needs. But, but, but look at this. Go, go back one chapter again. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground. All, all sorts of trees grow up from the ground. And and its fruit was, say it, beautiful. Same word. And its fruit was what? Delicious, right? Exact same thing that she saw in this fruit. In other words, what God had already given them freely with no restrictions whatsoever would satisfy every desire that God wired within them. In other words, there was nothing in the forbidden fruit that God was holding out on. 
There was nothing in the sin that Adam and Eve were missing out on, but they went their own way anyhow. God, I know you made tons of trees, tons of them, but out of the 999 trees that that you said I could have that are good for food, by the way, and delicious fruit, right, and are pleasing to the eye, that's not enough because I want this one, God. And that's the bad news, that that because of that, you and I are alienated from God because of sin. It's bad news. But here's where the thing begins to turn, and that's why Christmas is such good news, is because God came to get us. And we don't have to wait for the New Testament. We don't even have to wait for John or Romans, right, to to see the the coming of the good news. Uh, In Genesis chapter 3, a couple verses later, verse 15, he says, And I will put enmity between you, serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. Who, Who is her offspring? Jesus. Christmas is being announced in chapter 3 of the very first book of the Bible. And he, that is Jesus, not you or me, right? He will will crush your head, serpent, and you will strike his heel. That's so interesting. I wish I had time to teach on that today, but look what it says. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. And even in the garden, God replaces these unsatisfactory coverings of leaves that they made from themselves, and he gives them garments of skin, which means something had to die. This is the first animal sacrifice, and he's setting the story up. And blood was shed in response to their rebellion uh, because ultimately the blood of the lamb was going to have to be shed to satisfy the wrath of God. And even in the garden, we see God's promise and we see God's provision. And he longs to, for, for, for you to come to him. But it's not just well wishes. Jesus didn't send season greetings from, from heaven. R- Romans 5.8 says it this way, but, but God demonstrates. He didn't just shout it. He demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, in the midst of our rebellion, he was pursuing us. He came for us and because of us. And church, if we get in the tide of the culture and we lighten or lessen the severity of sin, we actually lessen the significance of Christmas. Because if sin isn't really all that serious, then Christmas can be something we sentimentalize. If we redesign Christmas in a secular way because we don't like the bad news at all, we actually miss the good news of Christmas. And the garden tree is the place where Adam and Eve and you and me turned our backs on God. Because the Bible is clear that every generation after them followed suit. And that includes you and me and everyone you know. Listen, church, apart from the wrath of God, the bad news, there's actually no need for Christmas. 
There's no need for the good news apart from the bad news. Because you know what Christmas means? And again, this is not your felt need, but what Christmas means is that I am cursed and I need a savior. What Christmas means is that I am lost and I need a shepherd. What, what Christmas means is that I am sick and I need a physician. What Christmas means is I am a rebel and I need a reconciler. What, what Christmas means is I am dirty and I need a purifier. Could, could we live this week, just one week, in our real need? Just, just one week, could, could we do that? Could we crawl down for one week into the sewer and taste our sin and experience our depravity? Could, could we reflect for one week out of this cursed year, one week, on what it is that God has saved us from and live with that realization for, for seven days? Live with the realization that every time we make one of those three confessions, we're one step closer to living that way again. Could, could you just spend one week in the reality of the bad news? I believe if you will, that we'll come back next weekend. And as we turn the corner into the good news, we will be able to really appreciate just how good that news is. So would you come back next week for the good news? I'm not tying a bow on it today. But I will one week from today. As you process Advent this week, would you process and live in the reality of what it is that we have been saved from so that we actually appreciate the good news of Christmas this year. So come back next week for the good news. In fact, bring somebody with you next week. Favorite message I'll preach all year. On your way out, grab a 2021 devotional. I love you. You are dismissed. See you one week from today.